Hello everyone, I'm Amrita and I run a travel experience company called Urban Sarai in Nashik. And welcome to Women Who Speak Heritage podcast. In the summer of 2020, as the entire world was under lockdown, I brewed some tea, sat in front of my phone and spoke to some incredible women through Instagram live sessions. We discussed heritage recipes, ancient monuments, the magical portions of the past, Peshwara fabrics, art deco architecture and much much more. These chats range from some very personal stories to solid professional advice to a creative entrepreneur. In today's session, I am talking to Sanjeevini Ayachit, a researcher and professor of fashion design, a dear friend who has also been my mentor in real sense. She recently finished her PhD in Peshwa era costumes, a subject much neglected by Indian fashion researchers. What was Peshwa's style? Did they wear samurai skirts? Do you want to know more? Then here we go. We are going to talk about Peshwas and their uh, costumes. And you know, Mm -hmm. before uh, we formally start the session, I just want to tell you that I am trying to get as much information uh, about their clothes and their costumes. And you know, I'm not getting any. I'm only getting, you know, articles and news items about Bajirao Bistan. So clearly, Mm -hmm. there uh, there is no information available. You seem to be one of the only uh, researchers who have managed Mm -hmm. to get this information and actually finish your PhD in the subject. Uh, No, no, I have to say I haven't yet finished my PhD, but I'm nearly there yeah <laughs> almost yeah. there <laughs> almost first there. question uh, is actually about why did you choose this topic but just before that you just tell us a little about yourself and then we can talk about the peshwas right so um I am a master's in clothing and textiles from MS University, Baroda. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, since after I finished my master's, I worked for a couple of years in the garment industry. You know, I have some experience with uh, Park Avenue by Raymond. Mm-hmm. And I also worked for uh, a garment industry in Pune. But after I shifted to Pune, I shifted focus to teaching because that's something I totally enjoyed. And I found that I had a natural affinity towards that. Mm-hmm. And uh, being in Pune, uh, it, it was great because you are in an absolutely culturally rich city. So you have no uh, dearth of, you know, experts and uh, the kind of knowledge or even the kind of environment that you are in. Hmm. So that that was a very uh, good thing, you know. And besides, I I, I totally love Pune and uh, it, it was always uh, enjoyable to uh, take up my uh, research in, you know, being based in Pune. I, having said that, uh, I started a, a project with the Kerkar Museum uh, back yeah. in 2010-11. And hmm. uh, you might be aware of that. You were there with me that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So when we did that, um, that was the time when we, uh, me and a colleague of mine, we started this project and we went to Kelkar Museum and we spoke to the director there. He was Dr. Ranade, the senior Dr. Ranade. And uh, he was very happy in giving us permission to document the clothing and textiles and other textile related accessories in the museum. Okay. And uh, what we realized once we went there is that they hardly display some 10% of their total collection. Hmm. So that means there is a 90% of the treasure which is still undisplayed. Uh, it's, it's not available for the masses to see. So hmm. we found that, you know, this is something that we could work upon. And that's how we started this work. And I'm very happy to say that we finished it in 2018. And hmm. uh, the work has now taken the form of a book, which hmm. got published in uh, October 2018. And it's available on Amazon. 
and uh, we very happy that you know we could uh, document those uh, textiles and clothing and uh, the um, accessories in the museum so the museum also has a lot of accessories yeah so when i was in the process of that documentation is when i realized that there were so many beautiful sarees and uh, items of clothing in the collection that are very relevant to the to maharashtra or western part of india Hmm. so that was something that got me interested ki okay this is such a rich treasure that we don't usually get to see outside in in other museums that was a great experience based upon that when i started teaching a course called uh, indian costume uh, construction you know indian garment construction is the course i started to uh, teach so yeah. uh, i looked at all the works that everybody had done and uh, that was something that i found that there is a huge gap where it comes to peshwa or anything to do with maharashtra you know so the rajputs have been well documented the mughals have been documented but mm-hmm. where it came to peshwas and peshwas are such a such a dynamic uh, dynasty you know they documented indian history for more than a century and why mm-hmm. are they absent on the you know in in the textbooks in in academic uh, texts so why are they absent so that was the gap that i found and i decided mm-hmm. i wanted to address that so that's mm-hmm. how this whole thing started Okay. Do you know anyone else who has worked on this Peshwa era costumes? No, actually nobody has worked upon the Peshwa Peshwa costume or textiles as such. People have worked upon their um uh, political history and their military campaigns, but where it comes to their sartorial styles there really isn't much information. Yeah, so uh, like I said ki I tried uh, uh, looking it up, you know, looking up more information in whatever texts that are available right now on indian costume but i couldn't find anything so hmm. uh, there is this one very uh, well known book by ritu kumar which documents yeah. the royal indian costumes and uh, uh, it it does mention a little bit about uh, the holkars the gaikwads of baroda the shindes but it does not mention the peshwas at all so hmm. i felt that this was uh, this was not right and uh, this has to be rectified and that is where i found that gap that that's really very strange, strange. Yeah. yes <laughs> yeah the main question is what was their style and what were they wearing and uh um, uh-huh, okay yeah so i think let's come back to that right so um i'll just give you a brief about how i gathered information because that is equally important because uh-huh. if the uh, well known designers are not able to find it so how did i find it so of course there is a lot of literature uh, uh, you know in marathi mm-hmm. by some people where you know quite a few years ago you know where they have uh, talked about they have studied the various uh, documents in the peshwa daftar hmm. and they have translated them from modi to marathi and they have presented it in the form of books so there is this one gentleman called jay sardesai and he hmm. has translated more than 30 such volumes okay. of uh, page of papers from the peshwa daftar and he calls it uh, peshwa daftar atil nivadlele kagad so okay. that was a huge uh, storehouse of information that i found and um, uh those those papers are basically the translation of records and letters mm-hmm. that the peshwas have written to people or that people have written to them and those letters mention about various types of fabrics or you know various colors or these kind of things wherein we get like a glimpse of what fabrics they must be ordering or what fabrics they must want or like so there were several types of fabrics that they mention you know some of them are called mahmudi khaskhashi mm-hmm. okay. angbani am kapad you know these are these are kind of words that you don't come across in a normal uh, you know way of life you know you don't come to know of these fabrics in your normal uh, textbooks so and i also came across this one um, uh, eminent historian called dr varsha shirgaukar she hmm. has studied the peshwas and their socio cultural history uh, a lot she has written a book on it and hmm. i i was fortunate enough to get in touch with her hmm. and uh, at, at that time she was heading the history department at sndt at churchgate 
and mm-hmm. when i met her uh, uh, i could uh, you know she, she was very helpful i mean i'm thankful to say that in in my phd journey i've only met helpful people very nice people they've been very kind to me so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was uh, yeah so they've been very kind to me and uh, so dr shirgaonkar also gave me these uh, you know these um, sources of information she told me you know you should go look at this book you should go meet this person and she gave yeah. me contacts of uh, descendants of the peshwa contemporaries in hmm. pune hmm. so i okay. went and met them i, I yeah i met uh, a gentleman called uh, mr ashok raste he hmm. is a descendant of sardar anandrao raste from the peshwa era and okay. they own the raste wada in the rasta pet which is named in their name so i i went and met him he was very very gracious he took me to his wada in rasta pet he introduced me to his family he allowed me to click pictures of uh, you know their albums and things so he he allowed me a lot of this uh, freedom mm-hmm. then i also met uh, uh, mr ashok fadnis who mm-hmm. is a descendant of nana fadnis okay. again in pune so that yeah. was also very cool you know he he gave me he connected me to another historian called mandar lavati so that way a lot of people helped me you know and i got a lot of information from them i also yeah. spoke to uh, shri uday singh peshwe who is the direct descendant of the peshwas so okay. I, i met him and his wife uh, at their home and uh, at uh, uh, prabhat road mm-hmm. and he was they were also extremely helpful they welcomed me twice thrice to their house he escorted me to the peshwe museum at parvati he allowed okay. me to you know uh, click pictures of whatever i wanted to you know so he was very very helpful so okay. I, i met great people that ways and uh, besides that i also did a lot of museum visits hmm. and uh, museum visits yielded a lot of information because what i was reading in the books you know i could not put a visual to that word you know if hmm. i have to say what is what is a, a buranpuri shalu hmm. you know so i had to put a visual to that word and those visuals i could find in the museums Hmm. yeah and then um apart from that dr shirgaonkar also was very helpful she told me that you know she has worked a little bit upon uh, the the lavnis that uh, they had during the peshwa era yeah hmm. so i also studied some lavnis so i studied a few books by the shahirs from that period and hmm. uh, i found a lot of information there so i i had i i tried to tie up my data in as many ways that i could you know so hmm. i had history books i had records I had uh, museum uh, visits. I had lavnis. I had the uh, interview data. So I tr- I tied all of that together, and I have uh, and I also studied a lot of uh, Peshwa paintings. Okay. You know, so Peshwa paintings uh, are not very easily found. You know, so I had heard that uh, they were available in the uh, Bharat Itihas Samshodak Mandal in Pune, mm-hmm. but uh, I did not get a very good response there. So I searched elsewhere, and I found. at least 14 15 such paintings at the chhatrapati shivaji maharaj vastu sangrahalay in mumbai Achha. and uh, they allowed me access to that you know i bought those low res images from them and i studied those so i tried to tie up my data in different ways and mm-hmm. yes of course the results are quite uh, interesting because they are very different to what we normally see as um, see them you know in the form of how they are represented in audio, audio visual media true very true yeah and uh did you find you no know, there is substitute names or substitute fabrics in today's times in the market that we are still using yeah quite you know for example a fabric like cheet hmm. you know a cheet is 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 a fabric which is uh, which has tiny block prints okay, okay? so cheet comes from the hindi word cheete huh. you know how you sprinkle it comes from the word cheete so cheet is is like a fabric which is tiny block prints i found hmm. that the peshwa men and women both wore a lot of these cheet fabrics Hmm. which you don't see in the way when they are uh, you know when they are displayed on screen you don't see no. them wearing you know normal 
block printed cottons but yes they were wearing a lot of those yeah also if you come across uh, you know these fabrics like jamdanis and jamewars mm-hmm. they were using a lot of those but you do see a lot of those in today's uh, markets as well and a lot of True. people are you know taking the efforts to revive them and to mm-hmm. give them the platform that they deserve hmm what were men wearing in that era you know when we had a discussion you told me that the women's costumes are still preserved we can trace back uh, them 200 mm. 300 years but men mm. because they're out at war and you know that's why you know th- their costumes uh, have gone through a lot of changes so what were peshwa right. men were wearing at that time so we must understand that the peshwas were basically prime ministers they were into an administrative role and they assumed a military role later true right and we also have to understand that they were basically brahmins hmm. so these were two things that have a lot of determination on the way they dressed true so uh, i have found that the peshwa men wore a lot of angrakhas they wore uh, uh, bandis bara bandis they wore kurtas they wore other things called uh, angde and angarakhi you know smaller uh, various varieties of uh, you know an angarakha Uh, okay. normally when we see these kind of uh, you know audio visual uh, depictions of the peshwa era you find that they are wearing something which is called a crossover garment sorry very diplomatically you are saying audio visual representation of what you read in hardcore bollywood movie <laughs> yeah that or even television serials you know so it's not just uh, that yeah it's, it's a lot of other things you also have theater so that's why i said audio visual media so it's like a blanket term they usually depicted wearing like a crossover garment which we normally in our day to day terms called an angarkha but an angarkha is very different historically so okay. uh, they were wearing yeah so they were wearing angarkha which have got like a longish uh, neckline opening or you know like a deep u neckline opening they have mm-hmm. a waist joint they have a flared skirt the skirt could be as long as the floor length it could be a little you know uh, say knee length so there mm-hmm. were various variations to that so an angarkha is typically a hindu attire so you will see that the mughals of those periods are wearing jamas but the peshwas were primarily wearing angarakhas hmm. at yeah. home they were wearing dhotar you know cotton hmm. uh, the, the main focus was cottons at home and any kind of ceremonial uh, or you know decorative uh, uh, things outside anything which is made okay. out of zari or brocade is something that they wear to the courts and uh, hmm. something that they wear outside and you know outside their personal sphere so in their personal sphere they were very very simple hmm. all the paintings of the peshwas that i studied pra- in practically all of them they're wearing white garments hmm. i mean you've seen a lot of mughal paintings and and uh, you know rajput paintings and you don't see too many of them wearing white plain white garments you know hmm. so that that's a very characteristic feature that i thought that was you know very interesting about the peshwas and another thing that uh, they were also wearing is pajamas hmm you know okay. so the peshwas like i said they they belonged to an administrative role and then they went into a military role so hmm. uh, uh, mr fadnis you know so nana fadnis's descendant said this to me very categorically ki okay you know when the peshwa is sitting in his daftar he can very well wear a dhotar but when hmm. he has to you know ride a horse into the into a battle he has to hmm. wear a more convenient garment which is a pajama so that's okay. where the pajama comes in as a matter of convenience rather hmm. than as a matter of you know your own culture true uh in the morning only we discussed this samurai skirt that i saw what is your opinion <laughs> angita you're catching me here okay. <laughs> okay so try as i might nowhere in my uh, you know in the books that i read or in when i spoke to people did i find any mention of the samurai skirt so okay. like i said because the angarakha could have been a floor length garment it was also quite gherdar so mm. you know if you want to call it the samurai skirt you can call it 
So Maybe. I could say that you know it's like a takeoff from an angarakha, from a full gherda angarakha. What about the women? What were they wearing? Sanjini, not just costume-wise, you know, even the customs and rituals. Those involved a lot of different kind of clothes and sarees and colors. Can you tell us something about that? All right. So I focused mainly on the component of their dress, and mm-hmm. wherever I could find any information which uh, informs that decision, you know, why I'm choosing to wear this dress. I mean, that's where I have taken that uh, input. So uh, mm-hmm. in one of the books that I read, uh, there was a very interesting uh, concept that when uh, you know these were child brides, the mm-hmm. girls were married at the age of uh, between seven to nine, you know, okay. and any any girl who is above the age of nine was considered to be too old to be married. You know, the middle Peshwas were very, uh, uh, what do you say? They were very strict about their rules of uh, the marriage of girls. So they said that any child, any girl who is below is uh, has to be married before she's nine year old. So these hmm. were child brides. You know, so they were not even menstruating by the time they got married. Hmm. And once they were married, their husbands were also around two or three years older than them. So when they got married, they were usually, you know, living separately to each other. But as soon as the girl had her first menses, that is where mm-hmm. that occasion was celebrated. It, it was a huge, it was a big thing. There are some records in which, you know, it was uh, predetermined that the girl wears, you know, a particular colored sari on day one, and then she wears another colored sari on day two, and another colored sari on day three you know, of the of the menstrual period. I haven't really found any basis for this information, though I did find this information in one of the, uh, you know, one of my primary sources of information. But okay. I did not find it anywhere else, so I'm not able to corroborate that yes, this is true or you know that. But this was very yeah. interesting because you know it's it's symbolic that ways, you know, that mm-hmm. you wear a pink sari on the day one and you wear a white sari on the last day. So you know, it it's possibly it's symbolic. And also, it's I think it's a celebration also, like colors we celebrate yeah. with colors. So you wear different right. kind of just to celebrate fertility that's, i think that's, that's right that's right, that's right. Yeah. it was a celebration of fertility that's right and yeah. the women were wearing uh, mainly nawaris hmm. the girls before they got married they were wearing parkar polka and that was also made of khand so khand is like a very important part of the woman's uh, wardrobe and uh, once they married the girls were also wearing small size nawaris and i i imagine them with pity you know 9 year old girls 10 year old girls that mm. uh, they were wearing uh, you know nawaris i mean imagine how cumbersome it is and uh, yeah and then they also wore a lot of these ornaments you know like saubhagya lakshane because they were married mm. so they wore nath and they wore kacha bangdya and they wore kumku and mangalsutra they had a lot of things that they were wearing you know so i mm. i am feel very sorry for these girls in those you know in, in those uh, periods and uh, once they grew up of course they were wearing nawaris the cholis were interesting they were short mm. at the back the sleeves were elbow length and they were oh. knotted in the front okay. they were knotted in the front so hmm. a lot of the back was exposed a lot of the stomach was exposed because of which the nawari draping style was very hmm. close to the body so okay. there was not a single place where which you could see you know any amount of exposed skin hmm. so the nawaris were draped you know they had they were taken around the back and they were very closely draped Hmm. and uh, yeah and even the you know when the nawari is draped often you know today if you see you find that the calves are showing on the back you know the bottom part of your legs are showing but they had to make sure that even those were not showing so okay. they were very careful about these things and they always draped a shela or a dupatta around uh, the shoulders so okay. in in every way they are covered hmm. <laughs> yeah, so okay. that 
now coming to the variety of sarees or the types of sarees that you were telling me about mm-hmm. you know right now for a lay person who is not a researcher of costumes or fashion they mm-hmm. only know pythagoras mm-hmm. and ithan or khand people like me we haven't gone beyond that so can you tell right. us a little more about you know other types of sarees that they were wearing uh so they were wearing a lot of sarees like i told you about the cheat hmm. they were wearing the cheat was also made in different places so you had a burhanpuri cheat you had a nagpuri cheat so the okay. cheat was also made in several places and uh, you also had uh, even the paithani if you are if you are considering the paithani was not only confined to yevla and paithan so the paithani okay. was made in in pune it was different the paithani that hmm. was made in burhanpur was different the paithani that was made anywhere else was it was even made in nagpur so when i looked at the books and when i looked at the uh, museums i did find so many different varieties of paithani as well there was also really? this one saree called the yeah there was also this one saree called the ashawali or an ashawali okay, yeah an ashawali saree so that is also very uh, you know prominent in peshwa literature you know the ashawali saree and okay. uh, the ashawali saree is basically from gujarat from somewhere near angabad and okay. that also has a look which is quite similar to the paithani but the borders have scrolls in them as if they have scrolling vines vine motifs hmm. okay. so that was the difference between a paithani and an asawali so in an asawali the uh, it, it is a richly brocaded saree made somewhere around uh, around andabad and uh, it it has a lot of takeaways from the paithani also so like a paithani it has corner motifs so if you look at the board, uh, the pallu of a paithani sometimes you find corner motifs so you have two corners and you have to uh, you know like a, a koiri or an arm ambi motif in the corners mm-hmm. apart from that the borders of a paithani are very distinctive they are checkered you know like golden checks mm-hmm. you will find they have these diagonal checks but in okay. the asawali you had scrolls you know so you had like a veil you know okay, i, I okay. don't know yeah like a creeper a vine mm-hmm. so you had a vine or a veil or a creeper kind of a border which was distinctive to an asawali okay that's interesting yeah and yeah. they were also wearing uh, uh, you know nagpuri lugde so lugde was like a blanket term for all the kinds of sarees that they were wearing so mm-hmm. nagpuri burhanpuri asawali they were wearing a cheet and i find cheet very interesting and you also mentioned a pitambari saree like not even heard the basic information you're giving <laughs> but this is something <laughs> beyond imagination like we have always associated pitambar with men yes a pitambar is normally what men we we know what men wear Uh, for dev puja or any kind of ceremonial uh, pujas and yeah. uh, surprisingly i find that pitambars were of two types mardani pitambar and zanani pitambar okay. so zanani pitambars were clearly almost 9 yards sari so the lengths were around 8 to 9 yards and mm. they were worn by women and they're not okay. necessarily only yellow they could mm. be colored as well and the difference mm. between the mardani and the zanani pitambars were that the uh, zanani pitambars had a broader border while mm. the Mardani pitambars had a narrow border. So even today, if you see the sore that the men wear, those uh, soreys also have these thinner borders, while hmm. sarees always have broader borders. So I guess it comes from there as well. True, maybe. Any other myths you would like to break? You know, something that we just assume <laughs> blindly, but actually that's not the that's not how it used to be. I think the most important thing that I would like to break as a myth is that the Peshwas were very simple in their uh, living. Hmm. This is a myth. So, because when we when we see Bajira Mastani, it's it's like a magnum opus, like you've rightly called it, and it's it, it's stunning. You know, it's it's a beautiful visual treat. But mm. if you look at that, you know, and people who don't know much about it believe that. Mm. So the myth I'm trying to break is that they were not so opulent. They were not so 
you know yeah. decorative in their uh, clothing they were very very simple and uh, they were usually wearing white like i said and you know their white angrakhas were usually made of malmal or you know like a dhakai muslin you know like a jamdani fabric you know which is like a white on white tone on tone so mm. that kind of thing uh, like i said the the pyjamas were uh, made out of striped fabrics you know mm. those striped fabrics could be mushroom mushroom is as a fabric that uh, i think a lot of people are already aware of and mm. there were these other fabrics called ilaicha or or uh, susi you know i heard so many different names of fabrics which you normally don't uh, get to hear uh, besides another myth is that when we see uh, the peshwas being depicted you see them mm. wearing very large pagdis mm. you know very large big uh, you know diameter pagdis but if you actually study the paintings of the peshwas they were wearing very small pagdis and okay. uh, the pagdis were very close to their head so they they were similar to the puneri pagdi that we see here hmm. yeah so they were very similar to that okay who were making these dresses their clothes you found people who are descendants of the sardars and peshwe themselves hmm. Hmm. could you hmm. find descendants of dressmakers like shimpis who um, were actually making clothes for peshwas i could not i could not there was no way i could uh, you know do that i i tried asking those people but i could not uh, you know get it uh hmm. previous uh, research suggests that of course they were tailors and uh, hmm. they were making uh, garments i'm not sure if the men tailors were making women's garments hmm. i'm not sure about that because what i studied out of other people's uh, uh, you know clothing styles and tailoring uh, histories is that they had women tailors there and hmm. those tailors uh, you know they had specific methods by which they were taking measurements you know so that they don't have to touch the woman's body okay you know so yeah so there were other ways by which they were doing that coming back to you know today's times and you know we are making these mm. films after films actually panipat and uh, bajirao mastani and all these uh, serials they are coming so you are also a professor i want your opinion on you know creative liberty you know how much mm. liberty is okay or it's not okay or it's completely fine what do you think and what will you tell your students if they want to explore something from uh, an era by gone so mm-hmm. what is the line and when do you think uh, you crossed it what do you think uh i feel that uh, the interest in peshwa history is increasing i mean you can see that through bajirao mastani you see it through panipat you've also seen a couple of there was a bajirao mastani serial also happening on television and mm. you also had marathi movies coming up and when you consider an audio visual uh, production you have to also consider that it is going to be viewed by the masses mm. who are paying good money to have a good time true so where it comes to that i feel that what what sanjay leela bansali did in bajirao mastani was stunning i mm. i totally loved what they did of course it was it was very far from reality but that is not what mm-hmm. the normal you know what the lay viewer goes in to see he doesn't want to see garments made out of white malmal and garments True. made out of cheap he is not paying good money to watch that so mm-hmm. it, it is it is supposed to be attractive it is also aspirational i want to wear something like that so it is also aspirational so in True. in that case i feel what they are doing is right you know because they are selling the the entire idea and the story to us Hmm. and had it been like an uh, you know like a theater production because i guess theater productions are, are closer to reality hmm. rather than television so i, I have also you know watched this natak called uh, ghashiram kotwal their costumes are pretty much closer to what uh, they have done and that was also hmm. quite uh, that's quite an old natak so hmm. yet they have managed to do the research right and also there is this one very old movie called uh, uh, ram shastri Hmm. So Ram Shastri was the chief justice at the court hmm. of Madhavrao Peshwa. 
and okay. I, I watched that movie also. It's available on YouTube, and I watched it. And those costumes are very, very, very close to what I saw in the paintings. So they, okay. it, it's obvious that they got their research right, and they yet managed to make it look attractive. Hmm. You know, there is one question I saw, uh, and it says, mm-hmm. "Did you get any interesting samples, fabric samples, in your museum visits, or do you own any samples now after so much research?" No. No, no, no. I do not own any samples. See, most of these samples are in the museum. Um, what do you say? Museum collections, and they don't even allow you to touch them. Okay. So, uh, did I mention about the Watson album? No. Yeah. So, uh, the Watson album was uh, so there was this gentleman called uh, uh, John Forbes Watson in the hmm. year eighteen sixty-six. So this is hmm. uh, much after the Peshwai, and okay. he documented a lot of these. Uh, uh, fabrics that were being produced all over india and he compiled mm. several volumes of them so he compiled more than 700 different samples okay and the intention was that he ships all of these samples back to the uk so that they mm. can produce the stuff there and flood our markets with it so this was like the precursor to the khadi movement mm. to the swadeshi movement right so i found one of those albums at a museum in mumbai and mm. uh, after much petitioning they allowed me to look at it to view it but not no touching no photography so okay. i did get the pleasure of going through those fabrics and those fabrics are are beautiful and i found a lot of correlations between my data and those fabrics so it, okay. it was great that i could uh, see that and i i got the chance to view them so but i, I could not collect any sample samples because I, i you know that was not the objective of my study hmm uh one question very interesting question uh, did you also get to study the draping styles and did uh, the draping styles change with time Yeah so one thing i would like to clarify here that the women always led a very sequestered life hmm. they did not have much communication with the outside world they stayed within their own uh, you know within their own community or within their own households and uh, so that is why any kind of external influences on their clothing was very very low so you hmm. find that you know over a period of time also the women are wearing the same kind of cholis the same fabrics the same sarees hmm so there was really no change there were really no different styles so because they were brahmin women they did, they were wearing the nawari in a you know in a divided style and mm. they had the uh, you know like they they gathered the sweep from the left and they tucked into the right which we call the otsa okay. so they were doing that yeah okay. so that was the only difference uh, yeah do you have any comment on uh, the nat that has been depicted in bajirao mastani somebody is asking do you have any comment um, no i would not be able to comment on that because nuts were certainly of very different types i feel yeah. uh, i think you, your guest tomorrow would be able to answer this question better because she has studied uh, jewelry uh, much more deeply than i have and i think she's completely yeah. reinvented the nut no but she's yeah. also following a lot of traditional designs so you know i can go on with this chat you know i i just find it amazing and you know the thing is that we have no clue this is our heritage i feel that we should have more sessions and you know we can talk a lot i'm going to ask you some quick questions don't think too much you just have to very impromptu quick uh, answer okay are you ready yeah so if you have to go back in time and ask one question to the fashion designer of peshwas what that one question would be uh, when we did the kelkar museum project uh we realized that a lot of the artifacts in that in that uh, museum have been donated by families in and around pune and uh, they you know when you donate something that is something that you don't want or you cannot keep it you cannot maintain it so okay. i i realized that garments were the first thing that people are are okay with discarding 
you know they will keep an artifact like a solid thing but they mm-hmm. might not you know uh, keep a garment while i do know okay. of people who keep heirloom pieces and all of that yes but that is something that i feel should have been uh, documented in the in that era you know like as mm-hmm. of today we have so many different ways by which you can um, uh you know document stuff you can put it up on your instagram you have blogs you make a book out of it but in those days nobody did it and uh, i don't think clothing or textiles was you know much important to people true it, it wasn't yeah. very important even as even as a academic field it has developed only you know in the past few years hmm so true. i think that was one thing which i i feel they should have done better they should have had yeah. you know better records of these stuff you know at least if they could have like how uh, watson could manage to do it they could have also hmm. done it somebody just said that all the uh, our sculptures temples paintings are all proof of documents but can you get a feel of a fabric through that is the question can you understand what exactly they were wearing no you cannot because you know what happens with any kind of art it is the artist's hmm. take on what he or she is uh, you know depicting Hmm. so i mean it, it might not be the true depiction of that uh, of that thing as well you know okay it, it, it depends a lot upon that artist's personal uh, you know choice of how he or she wants to depict it yes of hmm. course sculpture and paintings are a huge source of information on uh, textiles and clothing yeah but that hmm. that should not have been the only only sources true what is your favorite fashion trend of that era that you would like to you know revive a uh, favorite fashion trend i feel are the nawari sarees i i find them very very mm. graceful they are also enjoying a huge sur- surge in popularity right now mm. they are very very popular i think uh, bajira mastani has a lot to do with that also because i did carry out a short study on the nawari saree at its popularity as well and a lot of okay. people mentioned uh, bajira mastani as being the one turning point in making their choice towards that not just maharashtrian people but also a lot of north indian people who are not Mar- marathi i spoke with people who are uh, non maharashtrians living outside india and they mm. also quote the movie you know for their interest in uh, navari sarees brides are wearing them everybody is wearing them yeah <laughs> thanks to sanjali yeah. lavan sir yes <laughs> yeah uh, this is an interesting question for me uh, if you want to make a film on uh, fashion in those times who would be your lead character lead hero or heroine oh uh, i feel milin soman yeah it will be milin soman yes any day <laughs> any historic personality you would like to have a instagram chat with like we are having right now as in belonging to that period yes mastani okay <laughs> that's a great choice So, no. um, one historic character you think you could be very good friends with? I guess Mastani again. I, I really, really admire that. You know that character. I really admire that character because it's not easy to live in such a hostile environment. You know, apart from what they have been depicted as in the movie. You know, when you read about her, there's hardly mm. anything that you read about her. You know, she was so underrated. Mm. You have no documents that talk about Mastani truthfully. Okay. so i feel that uh, you know mastani is a very very intriguing character okay now choose one of these two okay paithani or banarasi shalu paithani okay teaching or researching both to choose only one can't do that <laughs> i'll not pester you because i know you very well okay so uh, if you offered like lots of lots of money uh, to work on a historically inaccurate period film uh, what will you do So you mean to say that I would work on something which is inaccurate, but you get a lot of money. That's the question. 
ah but i get a lot of money oh this is actually a real question uh, this has happened uh, with somebody i know that that person mm-hmm. was offered a lot of money like some a sum that uh, you would really not say no to but the film was not very accurate and um, yeah so th- there was a dilemma i don't know what he did but yeah so what will you do i would do it why not i mean for a uh, you know for money yes because yeah. when i'm doing my actual research I-, i do get to do what i want to i mean i do get to say what i want to say so i am mm. saying what i want to say and uh, making money becomes a choice of livelihood mm. that becomes a choice of livelihood okay. so yes my true love would still remain my research and what i do with it and mm. uh, yeah how i how i you know make my money is a different uh, aspect altogether a lot of people are doing this you know you have writers you have poets you know who are doing something for their own uh, what do you say you know they're doing it for their own choice you know for themselves True. and then they are doing a lot of other things to earn money to you know make sure you live your life hmm. so, yeah it's very subject you how will you dress ba- mastani for a can appearance if she lives in today's times yeah oh i would dress mastani only as herself you know because mastani is is such a uh, unique character i wouldn't want her to be anything different i wouldn't want her to blend with the crowd to do what everybody hmm. else is doing and try okay. to you know be different i would want her mm. to be just who she is did you get any information about her costumes and what she was wearing in that time uh the only thing i could find that she was wearing peshwas so peshwas is is a kind of garment which is very similar to an angrakha so an angrakha is is a garment for men while a peshwas is a garment for women so she was wearing a lot of peshwas and uh, mm. the books also tell me that she did adopt a lot of maharashtrian traditions once she moved to pune Okay. so she is known yeah. to have worn a navari sari she is known to have uh, done upas tapas she is uh, known to have worn a kumku and a mangalsutra so she is known to have done all of these things like a good bahu <laughs> like a good yeah uh, last two questions um what will you yes. tolerate bajira wearing samurai skirt or kashibai wearing a velvet sari a bajira wearing a, a samurai skirt what will you not tolerate people making false claims using your research or people using your research without due credit i will not tolerate people using my research without due credit okay and you know after this chat a lot of people are going to contact you and you know because it's really fascinating <laughs> about what you're doing thank about you. thank you thank you so much thank you so much i feel it feels nice that you know i could do something you know just a little bit to yeah. uh, you know make a drop in the ocean It's very mm. satisfying. Only thing is that you have to be able to find a subject that you're passionate about. True. Otherwise, it is superficial. True. So thank you so much for joining this uh, series on thank heritage. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I yeah. I hope to have many more conversations with you on and off Instagram. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful having uh, you know being a part of this conversation. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.